You're listening to Siren Radio, and it's the first Wednesday of the month. I have to give you a compliance um, a wet warning. We are actually recording this on Tuesday at just gone 11 o'clock for all sorts of very technical reasons. Um, so this will be going out on the 3rd. The repeat, of course, is at the weekend. So anything that uh, the next guest on Siren Radio says has to be taken within that context. And so what is the next guest? Who is the next guest? It is the none other than the man who always p- pops up on the first Wednesday of every month, John Kedley with his weather show. John, welcome to Siren Radio. Hello again, Andrew. Yes, I'm not a vicar. I don't just work one day a week. I do actually work Wednesday or Tuesday. It doesn't matter to me. Ah, so <laughs> lots of things. And we are, spoiler alert, going to be mentioning COP26. We have to. but We I, have to. I assume we start, though, by reflecting on October, which was balmy, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of temperatures. Yes, it was up and down, though, Andrew, as any month in this country is. It's up and down. It's the way things are. Uh, but if you look at the headline for October, you look at the headline really for the whole of the UK, but not just Lincolnshire, um, we talked about it being mild and wet. I think it was a mild month. Generally speaking, temperatures were between one and two degrees above average uh, across the whole of the country, some places nearer to half a degree above average in Scotland. And that's where some of the wetter weather was, of course. Uh, but we've also seen uh, temperatures above uh, average across the whole country, along with, strangely enough, lower amounts of sunshine and also some real heavy deluges of rain at different times in between the deluges of rain there's been some nice weather and if you go right back to the beginning of the month when we were on air before then we were still at that time talking about some pretty heavy rain and strong winds across the country it was later on when in around about the middle of the month when we had a a better spell of weather but looking at Lincolnshire first of all and uh, because we're we're talking right at the beginning of November all the figures aren't in yet as you can imagine Uh, So I've only got Scampton's rainfall for the month, which was actually very high, 85 millimetres, which probably comes as no surprise, bearing in mind that everything's looking a little bit soggier these days. Uh, The puddles have got deeper. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, yes, 85 millimetres. That's about uh, 53% above average rainfall for October. And consider that October is actually one of the wetter months of the year. It did turn pretty wet at different times, but I should think... There was quite a variability in the rainfall across the county uh, because sometimes the the deluges of rain were very slow moving in different areas and some of the parts would have probably seen considerably less rainfall on different days. Uh, But nonetheless, it was a wet month. It was a mild month. Temperatures at Scampton were two degrees above average. Uh, Sunshine, of course, we just get that now from uh, Waddington and there was 98 hours of sunshine at Waddington. Not a great amount, really. That was 88% of average. Uh, so, yeah, mild, uh, wet and a bit on the dull side. Now, compare that with some other parts of the country. It was positively, as you said, positively balmy, but also relatively dry, because as we know, particularly in the last week or so, we've seen that awful rain yet again over Cumbria and southern parts of Scotland, absolute uh, deluge of rain there. And that was a conveyor belt, which is a fairly typical scenario in this time of the year. Uh, We've got a conveyor belt with waves on the coal front producing further ripples of heavy rain, which lasts for about six to nine hours at a time. And in some cases, a little bit longer than that. But um, overall, the amounts of rain were huge as you go into those northwestern parts of the UK. Shapfell, for example, finished it with 328 millimetres and uh, sent Bees Head in Cumbria as well, 265. But of course, these are figures Uh, which are not comprehensive. We know perfectly well that the Seathwaites of this world Mm -hmm. and um, other parts of uh, hilly 
uh, Lake District up around the Cumbrian Falls would have had huge amounts of rain, more than that. Uh, so you're probably looking at five or six hundred millimetres of rain in those parts of Cumbria and the same for uh, the southern area of Scotland as well, around the borders, Dumfries and Galloway, they really got caught. I mean, that's your Estale Muirs and that sort of thing, uh, which, um, you know, is, is missing at the moment because I haven't got a comprehensive list so early in November, they're not in yet. But, uh, yeah, very wet in some places. Also very wet down in uh, Cornwall too. Cardinham finished it with 235 millimetres of rain and remarkably wet at times around the uh, the south of London. Now, I think this is really the Surrey Hills. If you come out of London, come out of Greater London, you go towards the the North Downs. Some people call it the Surrey Hills. Uh, there was an awful lot of rain at times there, looking at Charlwood and Kenley, that sort of area, where there was about 50 or 60% more rainfall than normal. Uh, huge amounts, up to 150 to 155 millimetres of rain through the month. And parts of Northern Ireland, too, also got uh, got pretty wet at times. Sadly, of course, we don't these days have the figures in for Capel Keurig, mm. but uh, we know perfectly well that Capel Keurig was extremely wet in the past week or so. Uh, so no doubt they've come up with a with a huge amount of rain for the entire month. Looking at the sunshine, well, uh, there wasn't a lot in <laughs> parts <laughs> of northern Scotland. Uh, terrifying, really, that Loch Glasgarnock, which is not a place I've ever visited, but I've seen pictures of it and it's not on my hit list. Um, 29 hours of sunshine oh for the entire, <laughs> the entire month. <laughs> and Tullock Bridge was about the same, actually. Tullock Bridge, which is north of Fort William, uh, which is probably a little bit nearer to the uh, tourist track. But that was that was awful, wasn't it? Just 29 hours of sunshine for the, for the month as a whole. Compare that with our 98 at Waddington. And uh, Shoebriness, well, not great. 115 hours at, uh, at Shoebriness. Mm. So all parts of the UK in October were a little bit on the dull side, I've got to say. Now, I mentioned the fact that it was one of the milder uh, Octobers we've seen. It was the 16th mildest on records going back to 1659 for central England. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's well up there. The top three remain in the first decade of this century. So 2001, 2005 and 2006 are actually at the moment still the very mildest Octobers we've seen usually accompanied by heavy bouts of rainfall as well. So there we are. That's in a nutshell. The details going through the month, one or two of the highlights. Well, as I said, we, we spoke at the beginning of the, uh, the month and we were already seeing some pretty heavy rain and some strong winds around. And uh, that was about the third. And the fifth was, uh, I think the Tuesday the fifth was the coolest day of that week after some more heavy overnight rain. On the Wednesday, we had gales and heavy rain clearing the East Coast. So it was, uh, it was pretty wild there for a while. And then we got to the 7th, the following day, it was getting warmer again. So we were actually up at 21 degrees in Lincoln on Friday the 7th of October, which was generally quiet, quite better weather for a while. It seemed like a, well, it was, it was an Indian summer. We can mm -hmm. legitimately call it an Indian summer when you get temperatures up around 21 and, and the clouds have parted. So that was nice. So we had a better spell of weather there uh, right the way through to about the 15th of October. And the 16th, 17th, that was a weekend things began to get a bit pear-shaped again. And come the 19th, there was more very wet weather, some heavy downpours, especially across Northern Ireland at that time. But you're still looking at 21 degrees down in uh, in southeast England, around uh, London. Capel Keurig was gusting up to 53 miles an hour. But the heavier driving rain, obviously, we know, came in the past week, in that last week of October. Come the 27th, we're looking at driving rain, which came away from northwest Scotland, pivoted through Ireland and Cumbria and southern Scotland for best part of 72 hours, really, 
very blustery winds elsewhere too. To the east of that band of rain, it, it was very blustery, but it did take temperatures back up to 18, in even places like Donanook. Uh, but uh, it was very windy. And so we're looking at gusts of 58 miles, uh, 70 miles an hour, I should say, at Capelcurig, and Scampton was up to 42. And then right at the end of the month, on Sunday the 31st, we had uh, 25 millimetres of rain in one day at Scampton. Not, not sure how your garden coped, but I certainly got uh, that 25 millimetres. I measured exactly the same amount. And Hull Beach was recording gusts of 62 miles an hour. Uh, so it did get pretty wild and squally. Not uh, not on the same um, scale as uh, going back to 1987, our famous October storm, which we always refer to on the 16th. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in that league. But I think the problem was that it rained and it rained and it rained in roughly the same sort of areas for two or three days at a time. Uh, which was, well, to say the least, very unpleasant. <laughs> very unpleasant indeed. Indeed, but but you did preface it by saying October, one of the traditionally dampest yep. months. Yeah, um, it is. The question, of course, everybody's now saying, and we are going to get on to talk about COP26, is is this now part of a pattern that is going to change so we're actually going to get more and more rain? Uh, or is it, you know, looking at the 2001, 2005, 2006, mm. those being the mildest, are some 14... Year 14, 15, and uh, what, 19, 20 years ago, um, yeah. when we really weren't concentrating on trying to get climate change under control. So it's, it's an interesting yes, um, that's right. dichotomy, yeah. isn't it? It's a, it's a good point you make, because uh, <laughs> in the middle of that decade, 2003 actually was uh, significantly cooler. <laughs> uh, significantly cooler. Uh, so that, was, that just came up in those 2001, five, six years. Uh, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, between 2010 and 2020, we haven't been on quite that same scale, but pretty high. I have to say it's still pretty high. Uh, but there's an awful lot to say about how the weather may or may not change in the next century. And if only there was on some agreement, climate models don't always agree. There are, you know, the, the jury is always going to remain out because there are little flies in the ointment at all times with these things. And uh, we can come back onto that. Uh, very shortly but looking across other parts of the world and again it was Europe which was struggling a little bit with some uh, really high amounts of rain I think it was when we were on air last time that we were seeing some torrential rainfall down in uh, northern Italy yeah it was down in um, Liguria is it Liguria I'm not as uh, well traveled as you Andrew but around that neck of the woods and then across into Corfu there was an enormous amount of rain fell in 12 hours 90 millimeters fell in 12 hours between the 6th and the 7th of October and Marseille as well, down in the south of France, they measured 173 millimetres overnight, one night. Uh, so most of that came in the space of two hours. So, yeah, Marseille, down in the French Riviera, they had an awful lot of rain in that, um, in that first to second week of the month. And then Corfu got hit again. There was a state of emergency declared in Corfu on the 14th after torrential rain from a storm which was named Balos or Balosh. It flooded homes and businesses and it destroyed again. It destroyed the infrastructure and agriculture and livestock were endangered as more heavy rainfall fell. It was a, one of these things we call a medicane, which was like a storm system developing down around the Mediterranean because of the still relatively very high sea temperatures at that time. And uh, little concentric circles of low pressure develop, uh, responding to those high sea temperatures, but also the cooler air coming from the north aloft in the atmosphere so we get this thing called a medicane which happens every year uh, but nonetheless is very nasty indeed now a more traditional powerful autumn storm developed come the 20th and 21st which was uh, you know it was the thing that we had as well 
but it was named by the French as Aurora or something like that. Aurora. 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 Is it? Yeah, Meteor France named that one on the 20th, 21st. That gave some violent weather across in northern parts of Europe, from parts of England, certainly, to France, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium. And they were getting some very severe winds, stronger winds than we actually caught, I would say. And something like 25 or 250,000 homes were left without power on, uh, on the Thursday morning in that period down in France. An awful lot of very bad weather about mm. uh, just around there. And then on the 22nd, it also hit Alicante as well. Not quite. It was a bit of a spin-off from the same storm system. Uh, probably the cold front going down through there into the Mediterranean, across into Iberia. So there's exceptional rainfall across in Alicante. They got 102 millimetres of rain. Uh, in in just uh, 24 hours so some pretty heavy rainfall there and then further massive flooding 24 to 26 in Catania again in parts of Italy the port city of Catania over a two-day period got caught with some really heavy rain 275 millimeters on the 24th you see we 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 know that places like the Cumbrian Fells will be seeing the same sort of thing yeah Uh, but we we like to think that uh, it's not really affecting as many people as it would be in a port town uh, down in Italy. So, uh, but the trouble is, of course, that sort of amount of rain, it gets down into the catchment eventually, and we don't always hear about it. Obviously, it, it did uh, cause some devastation in parts of um, uh, Cumbria and southern Scotland because floods did cause some bridges to be washed away, I think, didn't they? Mm. Uh, very nasty setup. Very much like we had back in Carlisle way back in 2005, and then in 2009 in Cockermouth. So, Cockermouth was hit in 2009, just like it was over the past week or so. Uh, so these are the places which do catch all that rain coming down through the river catchments. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's narrowing, the valley narrows, and that's where the, uh, the, the area of uh, bad weather actually finishes up. It's, it's a very nasty situation. I dare say it's always been like that. I don't know, but uh, I don't know the area well enough. But these sort of situations have always been badly hit. But, of course, as we talk about Andrew on the programme, we can do again. It's made worse these days because people build in uh, in these floodplains and the water uh, doesn't always finish up where you'd like it to finish up. And that's and exactly the, uh, exactly yeah. it. And it, it's this mm. is the mantra that you and I just keep coming back to: is yeah. if you're going to build in these places, you you have to put in mitigation yeah. uh, plans, and they don't appear to be put in place. Uh, you know, the the Lake District is named the Lake District. <laughs> For a particular reason, because <laughs> yes. of the, the nature of its geography and geology, it attracts, yeah. you know, the westerlies come in and dump rain because that's the way it all works. And of course, the thing we all have to remember is water naturally ends up running to the sea. Yes, that, that's that's what it has to do. You know, it's, yeah. it's the way yeah. it works. So, you know, if you and people do like to live next to rivers and lakes and oceans and things do. like that. And you, you've really got to look to some of the plans, I think, in Holland, where they've actually, when you're, you're building on a riverbank, you actually have it on a sort of floating dock mm. so that the house actually moves up and down these sort of uh, posts that retain it rather than keeping it fixed in one place and try and make sure the water doesn't overtop. Uh, I was at Wells Next to Sea a couple of weekends ago, and there they've had to continually raise the flood barriers over the decades and the most recent flood was 2013 which was absolutely extraordinary i couldn't Mm. believe how high it was um Mm. because there's the thing called the run which if many people know and go there um that was breached in the 53 floods yeah um but they they have over the years and over the decades had to continually build higher and higher uh flood defenses you know as long as you do 
then hopefully you will mitigate the problems, but they're not going to go away, are they? Well, they're not. And 2013, of course, was pretty widespread flooding across much of England, wasn't it? It's the year that we had the Somerset levels levelled mm-hmm. out by flood water. Uh, and also the Thames, you know, a beautiful area around the Thames where those uh, lovely posh houses are, uh, but they got flooded out as well. I've never understood really why people want to live so close to a river. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not my choice. No. Uh, but of course, they pay more for it as well because they of do. its being very scenic. It's the same down the River Severn as well. And you get the heavy rain in Wales that always finishes up down the River Severn from Shrewsbury southwards into uh, the Gloucester area, Tewkesbury. It always floods, always has done. Uh, it doesn't make it any better. Uh, but people, I suppose, must be more used to it if they've been, been brought up in those sort of areas. But uh, that's the sort of thing which hopefully uh, we are talking about at COP um, in the next uh, 10 days or so. And hopefully some people will agree to getting things sorted out a little bit more quickly than others would like. Mm. Uh, but um, but these are the sort of things that do occur. Now, just elsewhere, finally, across other parts of the world, and we have to mention the States, obviously. Uh, back on the 3rd of October, we had Hurricane Sam, uh, which was a major hurricane. Uh, finally weakened below hurricane strength on the Sunday morning, the 3rd of October. But it had actually been a remarkable, it said, seven and three quarter day odyssey across the central Atlantic as one of the longest lived major hurricanes on record. It it was tied with uh, Hurricane Edouard of 1996 uh, for the fourth most consecutive days as an Atlantic major hurricane since the satellite era began back in 1966, when obviously data became uh, much more... Um, useful and more of it, really, much more detailed uh, data around. Uh, So that was a major storm, a major tropical storm and hurricane was Sam right at the beginning of the month. Then later on in the States, we had another one, didn't we, which cropped up. um, Now, let me just get the name of that. That was on the 25th, and it wasn't the 25th. It was, yeah, the 25th to the 27th, a rapidly intensifying coastal storm affected parts of the northeast of the US. Uh, No doubt it was remnants of an old tropical storm which was out there and so that was affecting new jersey much of southern new england as well so it was the first uh, nor'easter of the season up there Ah. as that heavy rain uh, smashed through those northeastern states Uh, but now we've we've got i think it's wonder we've got hurricane wonder which is um (laughs) a late developer which is wandering across mid-atlantic at the moment it doesn't seem to be um, going anywhere to affect any land masses uh, but having said that, it is interesting because it is going to, I'm sure it's going to get into our jet stream and there'll be all sorts of uh, repercussions that that happens in the next few days. So that, that'll be interesting. Uh, but while we're just touching on a little bit of COP knowledge, um, the abundance of heat, which is being trapped, uh, tra- heat trapping, I should say, the heat trapping greenhouse gases in the atmosphere has once again reached a new record last year. All the figures have now been uh, computed and the annual rate of increase above the 2011 to 2020 average is there for all to see. So clearly these concentrations of CO2 are getting worse. It's not a good sign. Um, what I don't like is this, this thought of methane becoming all of a sudden much more important. And they're going to try and tell us to stop eating meat now. Well, it's all right for uh, vegetarians. Uh, not everybody wants to follow this vegetarian route. I don't blame them for doing it, but not everybody is going down that route. And to start blaming methane on this uh, current situation of global warming and saying now that we should stop eating meat and put the butcher out of business 
and the farms are going to suffer incredibly if that was to uh, become the, the norm. It can't be. You can't, you can't start lecturing to us like that. It's just ridiculous. But these are the sort of things that will be discussed in the next 10 days. Mm. And then everybody says, oh, well, we're okay. We'll, we'll, we'll think about that. <laughs> we'll pause. Some, yes. We'll pause Sorry, there. Cause, no, 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 carry on in a minute. Um, we'll pause there because you've chosen an absolutely fantastic track. And I've got a little something about methane to throw at you. In a oh, minute. good. Not some methane, but uh, <laughs> something I read some years ago about methane. But uh, right. we'll do that after you've introduced your track of the month. Yes, we're going right back to the 60s. We're going back to uh, to join the bookends theme and Simon and Garfunkel with a hazy shade of winter. Yeah, the Bangles tried that one as well in more uh, more recent years. The Bangles updated that version of uh, Simon and Garfunkel's, but I still prefer the original. Mm-hmm. It was actually the second LP I ever bought in my life. Was Wonderful. Bookends in the oh. mid about sixty seven, I should think it probably was. Gosh, was that which is the one that had Bridge Over Troubled Water on? Uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. <laughs> yeah, oh, was the it? album yes, was, it was called Bridge Over Troubled Water. Dude, get you, you super jock and super met. That's <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, that was in my final year at school. It was called Bridge Over Troubled Water, That's right, and it was. it was released in 1970, I think. There you go. You are two years ahead of me because I didn't leave school until 1972 because you are so much wiser and older. But can I just drop... <laughs> we, we, we teased about methane. Yes, we do know that methane is one of the byproducts of producing meat, and I'm not going to get into the meat thing. But also, no. uh, one of the things about the melting of 
um, not just the the ice uh, in the Arctic and the Antarctic, but mm. also some of the permafrost in Siberia is that the permafrost also traps methane. Yeah. And as some of the Siberian um, marshland or whatever it is, is melting, they are, that is an, an area where you can potentially have a slightly higher um, concentration of methane in the atmosphere. So it's, it's not just down to cows. And you're quite no, right, as you said earlier. True. OK, um, don't constantly have a go. One of the adverts I like at the moment from a couple of the big, um, um, big supermarkets is saying, rather than going to plant-based meat alternatives just like that, mm. just mix your diet. So maybe mm. if you had um, meat three times a week, yeah. make oh, yeah. one of those a plant-based meat alternative. And, and most of the big supermarkets are now offering that sort of alternative. Anyway, that's enough from me, from culinary. We need to get back to Met. And I'm guessing we're now going to head towards COP26. Well, that was a good call, Andrew. I'm interested in that. Well, no, we're sort of going in there on a, on a sort of slip road at the moment because I, I must just mention the fact it's something I've mentioned uh, in months gone by, maybe some time ago now. Uh, but when I was at Coventry University back in the 70s, uh, the Department of Mechanical Engineering was involved in wave power. They were designing um, some things called nodding ducks. That's what I think something like that yes. were going to be called. And uh, it was in collaboration with the Heriot Watt University in Scotland. And to, uh, to really get this country involved in providing some electricity through wave power, as opposed to the hydroelectric power, which is big in Scotland, always has been, which is fantastic. Uh, but, uh, you know, to get your strongest, biggest waves, you're always going to concentrate on the, the coasts around Western Scotland. That's where it's always going to blow hardest, generally speaking. And so they were concentrating uh, on providing some wave power off the islands of Scotland. And everybody thought it was a great idea, except the government, of course, who wouldn't uh, wouldn't go any further with it. But, you know, this is 50 years on nearly. Don't you think that was a little bit remiss? I'm just throwing that in. Uh, surely, if we'd been doing this sort of thing 50 years ago with a view to uh, other things running out, um, looking greener, thermal energy, of course, um, solar energy, wind energy is fantastic. Uh, we still have to use coal for various things to produce, even to produce the wind turbines, mm -hmm. um, they say, around different parts of the world, because we do bring a lot of these things in from abroad, don't we? And um, so it was something which was a little bit of apathy I think at the time nearly 50 years ago that they didn't pursue this thing for the uh, Coventry University Mechanical Engineering Department and, and let's start providing wave power they said it was too expensive obviously you can understand them saying that because it was providing power up in Scotland but you know the major conurbations are down in the south and that's where more people would have needed that uh, extra energy produced from so that's why they didn't go any further with it but I think now it looks it looks like a, a missed opportunity I think I think there were also, I can remember it, I remember seeing it on Tomorrow's World and thinking, what a super idea, because the waves mm. just keep coming. One of the other things was the, the two big pressure groups, which at the time were coal-fired power stations and nuclear power stations, and yeah. they were looking at investment, in, particularly in the nuclear energy sector, uh, and they just, um, their weight was larger than your wonderful university and what is, you know, a naturally recurring way of generating electricity. And, uh, yeah. of course, there are now many um many people trying to to promote that and also tidal uh the french have got i think some tidal 
um, uh, systems where they yes. can generate when they have a big flow in and a big flow out. Um, mm. But of course, I think that's that's slightly awkward when you have to build dams to try and uh, yeah. move the sea about. I, I think uh, nature might bike you on the bottom of that one. Yeah, okay. but we're always going to have a strong winds, aren't we, in this we country? Are. We're always going to have, uh, you know, we are an island nation. It's a great line, uh, but we have a lot, of, a lot of coastline here. Sometimes the wind doesn't blow. Sometimes the sun doesn't shine. But um, generally speaking, we've got something from wave power. But one of the things that uh, may not be mentioned too much in this next 10 to 12 days is uh, the volcano eruption in the Canary Islands, which is bound to have an effect on what's happening to the climate. Um, it's, uh, it's all part and parcel of global warming. We know that, but whether it'll get much of an ESA, I don't know, up in Glasgow, but there we go. But the mechanism of um, how these eruptions affect the world's climate is now pretty well understood. I've got to say, it wasn't at one time, but when you get the ejection of debris and gases from these volcanoes, uh, they do go right up to the stratosphere. That's, uh, that's the bit, the next layer, thicker layer, above the troposphere where our weather is. And it's up in the stratosphere where it has a greater impact for... Um, for what happens lower down eventually. So it's a region of the atmosphere, which is probably about more than 10 kilometres up above that weather line. So the dust and other materials get rained out once they get up there. Um, well, they don't get rained out so much once they get into the stratosphere because the weather's further down. Uh, but it is just as important because the stratospheric winds blow in such a way that ejected matter from volcanoes are always going to be more important if they're close to the equator. Not so important if you get a, an eruption in places like Iceland, obviously it affected um, air travel some years ago. Indeed. But when you get ones nearer to the equator, like the Canary Islands, that little bit closer, subtropical, it does produce more of a spread across the planet to form a veil of um, dust and, and gases, which usually lasts for about three years and occasionally, they say, it could last as much as seven years or more. So an eruption in, uh, in these lower latitudes is much more significant. That dust veil, it certainly reduces the strength of the sun. It doesn't necessarily limit the amount of heat energy which escapes from the Earth backwards, going out again. But it's, uh, it's certainly going to cause some problems higher up uh, with a high sulfur content as well. So there are differences here. It, the aerosols emitted into the atmosphere actually... A project, projecting a, a cooling of the atmosphere rather than a warming of the atmosphere when you get these uh, eruptions from volcanoes around the world. So this could be an effect which may last for up to three years. Uh, have they put the fire out yet? Do you know? No, it's still, but it's, still, it's, it's, still, it's, still, it's still dribbling <laughs> into the sea and in, in, increasing yeah. the land mass by some... Uh, yes, some quite significant. Well, that's right. So, Indeed. So, so that's another. That's a bit of a side issue, but it's nope. nonetheless part of global. It, it is uh, well the global climate, uh, but uh, on a feedback mechanism going the other way, if you want to call it that. So, that's quite significant. We, we, we talk about heat waves being more likely uh, with um, with global warming around the world. Um, there will be more heat waves in this country. They, they say that climate projections do indicate more of these uh, really strong heat waves that we had. The most recent one was 2018, obviously. I think there was about 50 days in parts of the southeast where it, uh, it was pretty warm. It didn't rain at all in southeast England. And we had the, uh, those very high temperatures. And strangely enough, it was beaten. That highest temperature was beaten at Cambridge the following year in 2019, but on the same day, 25th of July. Uh, so it's not uncommon to get these uh, heat extremes in this country. We've, we've seen them way back in our early lifetime. Andrew, 1959 mm. was a very good summer, and it went on with some very nice weather through September as well. Uh, but um, 
then it was rubbish, of course, in the 60s and parts of the 70s. Then we have the big heat waves in 75, 76, and then the shorter heat waves in 1983 and, uh, and then more recently as well uh, into the turn of the century. But 2003, 2006 were extremely uh, hot just for certain periods of the year, not extending. Uh, but the definition of a heat wave is very strange, really. Uh, the definition of a heat wave, and I'll just read it out to you because it's, uh, it's quite bizarre. Uh, a heat wave is defined over a location as when it records maximum temperatures greater than or equal to a temperature threshold for at least three days. Now, to me, uh, no, a three-day heat wave is, is just a, a bit of nice weather, really. Indeed, I mean, if you, yes. If you had a fortnight booked at Cleethorpe's and you got three days of nice weather... I you wouldn't be impressed, no. <laughs> well, it wouldn't go down as a memory, would it, really? No, no. Uh, but um, this threshold varies across different parts of the country, and no doubt over the years to come, with global warming, we are going to see this threshold increase. But it's 25 degrees in Scotland and Northern Ireland and most of Wales, uh, up to 28 degrees in Greater London. So... Seems quite modest, actually, it does. to talk about those sort of figures. But uh, when, when the projections are that for, say, the middle of the century, we could be looking at high temperatures of 40 degrees about once every 15 years. And we've already had 38.7, I've got to say, only mm -hmm. two years ago. I don't know. Is, is this a little bit of extra fear that's not necessarily required? Because uh, I think... For it to become really out of control in this country, I mean, I'm not talking about other parts of the world where it is much more serious, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, but for it to become out of control in this country, and we were looking at occasional 40-degree temperatures yeah. every 15 years under the current uh, greenhouse gas emission scenario, uh, I don't know. Are we reading too much into all of this? But let's not be blasé about it. it it's no. something that's got to be discussed. Uh, there are lots of issues involved, but I just wish sometimes that there was a little bit more coherence with the global warming models because they don't always agree on exactly what would be happening come 2070 2080 and 2100 whether there would be at least one heat wave every year by uh, by the end of the decades or or it would be um, not quite so serious as that who knows but um, these I, are I, things that are happening certainly i think you made a, the most valid point right at the beginning of the program and just a reminder you're listening to Science radio John Ketley weather show with me, Andrew David, interrupting, is that you want to have greater understanding and greater agreement. So if, as we're coming mm. towards the end of the programme, we will have a mini weather forecast for Lincolnshire in a bit, but if we had in the room, and I, I was so impressed by Sir David Attenborough's presentation at the opening, there's Alok Sharma, there's the uh, Prime mm. Minister, and there are people like uh, President Joe Biden. <laughs> if by some sort of Zoom magic I could get them all together, they can't respond to you, but you could give them a message, John. <clears throat> what, fairly briefly, would that message to them be based on all of the very reasonable um, uh, and scientifically well-based uh, evidence that you've presented to us over the last uh, 35, 40 minutes? Well, all I would say is that we've got to be extremely aware of what's going on, not only in Northwest Europe, but across the whole of the world. Clearly, there are issues. We are in a period of global warming, the climate will change in different parts of the world at different rates, uh, much more so perhaps in the northern hemisphere, but also uh, down across Africa as well. There are going to be serious issues there. We have to be aware and we have to consider that the people who can't really help themselves too much. Yeah. I think it's particularly worrying for places which have always suffered, of course, from cyclones and, 
and things like that around the Ganges Delta and also down around the Marshall Islands in the Maldives, in the Indian Ocean, in the Pacific Ocean. A lot of these places are so low lying that they are really going to be struggling. So everybody's aware of that. That's absolutely right. Uh, but we've also got to think about the, the fact that the weather will change and, and alter what happens in different continents, different areas of those continents. And we must also help ourselves a little bit more. Uh, clearly, as individuals, we can help ourselves by maybe putting solar panels on your roof. But at the same time, if, the, uh, if you're living in a grade two listed building and you're not allowed to have uh, solar panels on your roof, then we've got to think about changing the paperwork for all of that sort of thing, which is something that irritates me a little bit, I have to say. Uh, but we've got to be aware of these things happening. We've got to not jump all of a sudden because we just don't know 100%. We just don't know the climate models are not 100% in agreement as to exactly how things will change in 50 to 100 years' time. We know the weather will be serious at different times. We know at many other times the weather will be quite mundane because that's the way it's always been. But we still need to look back in history, and we still need to look back in history for, for the UK in particular and think about a warm Roman period when they were here for 400 years. It warmed up, then it cooled down again. We had a medieval warm period and then it cooled down again. We then had the mini ice age and we've just come out of that. So are we still part and parcel of that warming period following the mini ice age? It's not as clear cut as it might seem. John, fantastic. Thank you so much indeed. And that sort of clarity, I'm sure, will be much appreciated by many people who are listening to this programme today. Just finally, can you finish with a few notes about uh, what we can expect over the next couple of days here in around Lincoln and Lincolnshire? Well, at the moment, things are looking really nice out of the wind. I've got to say, <laughs> since, the, since the wind and the rain went away, it's looking a lot better. But there are, sadly, there are going to be some more cloud and chilly weather and showers coming down from the north on Wednesday. It then improves again towards the weekend, but the wind and the rain pick up again over the weekend, more affecting Scotland and Northern Ireland than anywhere else. Uh, but uh, the whole scenario really at the moment is dominated by what's happening in mid-Atlantic, the remnants of uh, Hurricane Wanda, that's going to enhance the high pressure from the Azores out towards the UK and Western Europe generally. That will enhance the high pressure. That will bring us more settled weather, hopefully, diverting all the storm systems up to the north towards Iceland. I don't wish it on Iceland. It's just the way things go. But at the same time, it will also have a cut-off cold pool down in the Balearic Islands as well. So I think the Western Mediterranean parts of eastern Spain will become noteworthy for weather in the following 10 days. John Kettling, thank you so much indeed for joining us here on Siren Radio. The next programme, if anybody's looking at their calendar, is actually going to be on the second Wednesday of December. And of course, then the mantra will be, are we going to have a white Christmas? But you, <laughs> with your wonderful mantra, we're more likely to have a white Easter than a white Christmas. I'm sure that's going to come out again. John Kettling, thank you very much indeed for being with us. Pleasure, Andrew.